0: Hey friends, welcome back to the Pulpit to Pew podcast and this week's Adult Bible Study. I just taught a few hours ago at our church and now sharing it with you here on the podcast. It's our series entitled Difference Makers. And then Thursday we will be back with our journey through the Bible on Monday and our email newsletter continuing our journey through the Bible. So without further ado, here is this week's Adult Bible Study. Let's take our Bibles go to 1 Samuel 17. 1 Samuel 17, a f- very, very familiar passage. But I want to use this familiar passage to, net, to teach on this next word that I believe is important if we want to be difference makers. Now, the question I guess to start is, before I even review, do you want to be a difference maker? I mean, maybe you just looked at it and you said, well, here's the class over here on parenting and I don't have kids or I'm well past that, so I'm not going over there. Apologetics. I'm not going to apologize to anybody. That's not what it means. But maybe you didn't know what it meant. So you're like, I'm not going to go over there. And um, Matthew's class, I don't remember. So maybe you said, I'm not going to go over there. So you're here. But you're like, I don't know if I really want to make a difference. I'm just kind of here because you tell stories about your dog at the beginning. And I like to laugh at you. I don't know. But I hope that you'd want to be a difference maker. We were took the boys to an Indiana State game yesterday, basketball, to watch a kid from Cloverdale Cooper. And they were winning so bad. They were up by, like, 40-some points. They set the record, Indiana State record, for three-pointers. Great game. Boys loved it. But at the end, these guys got in that that are not difference makers. These are guys that when he said, you're in, they're like, what? I'm in? (laughs) Because they never play. These guys never play. But when you're up 40 all of a sudden you get to play and so they come in and the crowd's going crazy because they know these guys don't play so my boys this is the first game Elijah's ever been to and Jeremiah's been a couple but so they're like why is everybody I go these guys don't ever play so Jeremiah's like do they even know how to dribble I'm like well they made the team (laughs) so Jeremiah like goes to the extreme he's like well they he's like can they do any and I'm like yeah they're good I mean they they're good but they're little guys a lot of them are like probably fight my size probably in height not weight but i said they they just don't play they don't make the team you go down there when we went to the floor afterwards to talk to cooper and the other guys came out they're like whoa these guys are big i'm like yeah these are these are some pretty big guys and then then those those other guys didn't come out but they're not difference makers they usually just sit there but they got in the game one guy hit three threes and to help break the record but they usually don't make a difference and I think in our churches, we have a lot of people that attend church. I'm talking nationwide, not just Faith Baptist Church, but nationwide. But they don't really care to get in the game and do anything. They're okay just to sit there and cheer on the, the others that are in the game. But this lessons, These lessons are about, hey, let's make a difference. God put us in the place that we are, in the time period that we are, <laughs> To make a difference. I don't think God wants any bench players. I think he wants everybody to be active in the game of the Christian life. And so to to make a difference, we've been looking at specific words and and then lessons around these words. We talked the first week about being genuine. If you're going to make a difference, you've got to be genuine imagine if one of those guys got on the court and he's like fooled you guys i can't dribble i don't even know what's going on and he didn't he didn't play at all he's going to make zero difference they're going to take the ball from him every time you you gotta you gotta you've got to be genuine if you're going to make a difference in the christian life you got to be genuinely saved and we talked about that a lot of there's a lot of people more than you know that just attend a church and they've never really accepted jesus christ their savior they come to church because their grandmother came to church their mother came to church so they come to church they come to church because it's a socially accepted thing to do. And so, in some, well, it used to be. And so they kind of grew up in that, and they're in a rural town. And so it's like, hey, I, I can give you one hour. I'll just go Sunday mornings. There you go. I'll give you one hour. I'm at church. Did my thing. Some people, believe it or not, come here for their business. It's good business. I got my own business. And if I come to church, I got a whole audience of people that trust me, and then I maybe that I can get their business. Bad reason. But there's a lot of people that just come. It'll make a difference. Are we genuine? But then are we genuine in our discipleship? And, and are we following Jesus Christ? Do we truly want to learn from Jesus? And, and we've got to be genuine if we're going to make a difference. Last week, we looked at the word doer. Okay, so now if we're going to make a difference, we've got to be a doer. Imagine these bench warmers yesterday get in the game. They're like, yes, and they throw the ball, and he just stands there like this the whole time. Doesn't do anything. He's not going to make a difference. But he decided to dribble down the floor, he got open, a couple of them, and made some threes, and they made a difference. They actually set the record. Like I said, they made a difference because they got in the game, they were genuine basketball players, and they did something. You've got to be a doer if you're going to make a difference. But I said at the end of last week, we're going to have another lesson today that's going to be on top of what we talked about last week. Because a doer alone... It's not going to make the difference that God wants. And so this lesson today from 1 Samuel chapter 17 is about being a dependent doer. What do I mean by being dependent doer? Well, we talk about this quite often in my class because I believe this is the most foundational truth outside of the gospel. It is the gospel in another sense, but it's the most foundational thing in the New Testament that most people don't get. It's that we are to be dependent upon the power of Jesus Christ. At salvation, we receive the Holy Spirit and he empowers us for service to lead us and teach us. But the key to his empowering, the key to him working through us, is dependence upon him. Just like the key to salvation, right? When I got saved, I don't stand before the church. We baptized some people last week. Imagine if you are getting baptized. A couple of you got baptized. before. Imagine if those boys were getting baptized and my dad the pastor looked at him and said hey boys are you saved and they're like yeah we're saved we did this good work and this and we did this we did these things so we're saved and he'd be like uh-oh now i don't know what dad would do if he'd still just dunk him or not i would say get up get out of here you're not really saved now that would be awkward and probably pretty rude but salvation we understand is not dependent on things that we do it's dependent upon what jesus did on the cross and we placed our faith in him you know, same thing in the Christian life. This Christian life, I can do some things in my own strength. I could teach this lesson in my own strength. I mean, this is David and Goliath. I could teach this in my own strength. I've taken a class on teaching. It's You can do something in your own strength. But to make a difference, it's more than just being a doer. You have to be a doer. But you have to be a dependent doer. You have to be dependent upon the strength of Jesus Christ to make a difference. So, that's what we're going to talk a little bit about today. And I'm going to show you in the familiar passage the truth or the key to this principle playing out. So let's go to some, maybe my favorite, one of my favorite stories. Let's go to David and Goliath. We're in 1 Samuel 17. Let's, uh, let's pick up a few verses and see verse, chapter 17. Let's just read verse 1. Now the Philistines gathered together their armies to battle. And were gathered together at Shoko, which belonged to Judah, and pitched between Shoko and Azekah in Ephesdomen. Yeah, I just made all that up on, as far as the words, but it sounded confident, right? And Saul and the men of Israel were gathered together and pitched by the valley of Elah and set the battle in array against the Philistines. So for the sake of today's lesson, the Philistines are over here on this side of the valley, and the Israelites are over here on this side of the valley and we know that a big battle is going to take place some of you know David and Goliath maybe you don't know the full story around it so let's just kind of look at it for a second verse 3 it says and the Philistines stood on the mountain on one side and Israel stood on the mountain on the other side and there was a valley between them and there went out a champion out of the camp of the Philistines on this side named goliath whose height was six cubits in a span it's debated i say i've always heard and calculated about nine foot nine inches tall so i'm going to go 912 so i'm going to go 911 i'm going to say 99 and i'm the teacher all right he's around there it's not the gospel so about nine foot nine inches tall which all i heard yesterday at that indiana state game was my boys going hey dad how tall is that guy how tall is that guy i was constantly on my phone looking up how tall they are and we've got a kid six ten, and they were like, "Oh, he's six foot ten And he, but so that's all I heard. So now I'm saying the height of a guy, and it just reminds me of yesterday. But he was nine foot nine inches tall, bigger than any guy that was on that floor yesterday, stronger than any guy. He's called a champion. He was a mighty warrior on this side. On the other side, they describe him. He had a helmet of brass upon his head. He was armed with a coat of mail. I mean, he had all kinds of, of, of gear. He was strong. It's is how heavy I think the tip of a spear was about like an average of a, a bowling ball so some of you have a hard time picking up a bowling ball imagine that being on the end of a spear that you would take and throw I mean this guy was massive and you go down to verse 8 it says and he stood and cried into the armies of Israel and said why are ye come out to set your battle in array am not I a Philistine and ye the servants to Saul choose you a man for you and let him come down to me if he be able to fight with me and to kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then shall ye be our servants and serve us. So do you see that, the battle? I mean, if you, guys, if you like competition and sports, that's what this is. Here comes this massive of a man, and he's on this side, and he calls out over that valley. I bet it sounded pretty amazing. Maybe they came down and met a little bit close. but But he yells at them, and he says, hey, bring out your best guy champion versus champion. bring out your best guy, fight me. If we lose, we will serve you. you have us, you own the Philistines. But if I win and kill him, your champion, you serve us. That's the challenge. So you'd think what somebody on Israel's side, Saul's, they're the king, he's going to pick his greatest servant they're gonna be like, hey, we serve God. We serve Jehovah. We know his stories. He is part of the Red Sea. He has done all these great miracles. We serve God. Let's get a champion and go whip this guy. We got the Philistines and we're done, right? No. The challenge has been set. But we have on Israel's side what I call a lot of cowards. There's a challenge, but we got some cowards. These men had allowed their fear to overcome their faith. They were doers enough to get to the battle. But that's where it stopped. They were soldiers in an army, so they're doers. But now all of a sudden, they met something that was fearful. And I bet this guy was a fearful sight. And now all of a sudden, their fear is taking over. And they're like, I think I'm just done. I'm going to sit on the sidelines and watch. I don't want to do it. And nobody was volunteering, and they were scared to death. Suddenly, they had forgotten about Israel's history and Israel's power. Now, I know some of us forget about America's history, but Israel's history was constantly rehearsed in their ears. They told them about the writings. They told them about what had happened in their ancestry. They knew it, but none of them were willing to call on the God that did all of that in the past. They looked at their immediate situation and said, I don't think I want to do that. I don't think I want to trust enough, depend enough, to try to fight that guy. They were fearful. And it says somewhere, and let's see if I can find it, That, and, and I may not be able to, but I think it, it says down in here somewhere in this text that they stood there for 40 days. 40 days. In verse 24, another verse, it says, And all the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and were sore afraid. So for four, I think it was 40 days. Here, here's what Goliath would do. Every day, probably, let's just say morning, he'd come out. They're sitting, they're camping on that side. We're camping on this side. Goliath would come out. He would mock their gods. He would make fun of them, say, Send me your greatest challenge, your greatest champion. And every day the Israelites would look at Saul and Saul and say, Hey, anybody going to go? Everybody's looking at everybody else. Nobody's going to go. They have no answer. This took place for 40 days. But, verse 26, David had already come, his dad had sent him and said I want you to go and I want you to take this these cheeses and bread to your to your to your brothers and I want you to go check on them and so David's just coming he's not a, he's too young to battle so you got to be 20 years older he's too young to go into the fight so he's just coming he's carrying food for his brothers and he comes into the land. and he comes in at the time when Goliath is mocking Israel and he comes in at a time when Goliath is offering this challenge so here he is passing out cheese and bread to his brothers and he hears this and let's start in verse 26 and it says this, and David spake unto the men that stood by him saying what shall be done to the man that killed the Philistine and take away the reproach from Israel for who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God and the people answered him after the manner, saying, So shall it be done to the man that killed him. They explained, they filled him in on what's going to happen. Here he's been challenging us for 40 days. Whoever kills him, they'll be the servants. And then verse 20, 28, David's older brother, Eliab, his eldest brother, heard when he spake unto him. And Eliab's anger was kindled against David. And he said, Why comest thou down hither? And with whom hast thou left those few sheep in the wilderness? So he's mocking him right now, right? Oh, you're not a soldier like me. I'm a tough soldier. You're just a shepherd. Where'd you leave your little sheep at? He's making fun of him. I know thy pride, for thou the naughtiness of thy heart, for thou art come down that thou mightest see the battle. Now he's accusing him of something. You're just down here because you're nosy and you want to see what's going on. And, And so David is asking a question. He's angered by this defiance of Goliath. He's angered by what's going on. He's not yet making a difference. He's basically a pizza delivery man. That's all he is. He's delivering bread and cheese. I say it every time, so my kids have probably heard me say that, but I love this. He's delivering bread and cheese. He's just delivering food. That's all he's doing. He's like a delivery boy. He's not a difference maker right now, unless you're a sheep. He's a pretty good difference maker for you. He's a good shepherd. But he's just, he's just a guy that's interested, and he looks and he says, We've got a problem here. This guy is defying our God. And I'll stop for a second to look at us to make an application and say, do we look out at our world, maybe like David looked at this situation yet, and say, we've got a problem. We've got a problem. See, you're never going to be a difference maker if you don't see that we've got a problem. If you're just like, hey, everything's fine. We're just going to hold on until... David could have just came in and said, hey, you guys got a big problem. Israel's got a problem. Hopefully, you guys figured it out. Here's bread, here's cheese. I'm on my way back to my sheep. He could have said that. He could have. He wouldn't have been a difference maker. But right now, he's not even a doer. All he is is a kid that's asking some questions. And so he's, but he's being, even just asking the questions, he's being criticized, he's being angry. And sometimes, he's, as a Christian, when you want to make a difference, just trying to, just, just getting started saying, hey, I want to learn, I want to grow, sometimes people will criticize you for that just trying to be genuine and saying hey i want to i want to be discipled i want to learn i want to study the bible sometimes people will look at you like what are you doing you already go to church why do you got to go to another service why do you got to go to a class and learn Why, why are you reading your bible on mondays you go to church on sundays you take care of everything just what are you doing you know sometimes it's those closest to us that criticize us for our faith and that was david of all the people that could have criticized him there it was those that were the most close to him his brothers that were criticizing him and being hateful to him and so but david wasn't going to back down he said in verse 29 he says and david said what have i now done is there not a cause is there not a reason look at the problem that we are in and that's the question i would hope all of us would say today as i'm getting to my point but all of us would look at our world and say is there not a cause did god not put us here from the time period that we are, for me, it's nineteen eighty-one to whatever I die. Is there not a cause in that time? God could have put me here in the nineteen thirties, seventeen twenties, but He put me here for this time, and He puts you here for this time. Is there not a cause? Is there not a reason? You say, "Well, I'm just a nobody. I don't really." David was a shepherd. They were making fun of his. Uh, they were making fun of him. You're just a shepherd. You're a nobody. And you may think, I'm just a nobody. I can't make a difference. David saw the need, and it moved him. He was courageous when others were fearful. And when you step out by faith to fight the enemy, there's always going to be someone around you that criticizes you. It's always going to happen, and it happened to him. His brothers criticized him, but he didn't back down in verse 29 and 30, and he turned from him toward another. I love that. He just turned away from the critics towards another, and he spake after the same manner. He asked the same question. And the people answered him again in the former manner. And when the words were, which David had spoke rehearsed before them before Saul, he sent for him. And David said to Saul, Let no man's heart fail because of him. Now watch this. He's going to turn into a doer. Thy servant will go and fight the Philistine. Now he's saying this. Hey, sign me up. Before he's a delivery man. And he's saying, There's a need here. Somebody, We need to deal with this. Somebody needs to deal with this. And nobody was doing it. And because he looked around and saw nobody was doing it, he said, hey, I will be a doer. I will, the need is great. There's no one else doing it. So I will be a doer. That's what he's saying right here. This is last week's lesson played out. He says, I will do it. I'll take care of the need. And we need some doers that see a problem, that see a need and said, I'm going to do that. And even when he did that, look at verse 33. And Saul said to David, thou art not able to go against the Philistine to fight for him imagine that your leader you you would think your king is going to look at you when you come with faith and say hey you know what king i will do it you would like for him to say you know what i'm so proud of you son let's go but even <laughs> as king goes <laughs> you can't do this you're gonna lose i just imagine if it was me i'd be like okay thanks i'm just gonna go back and grab my cheese and pizza the leftovers and go i would have been crushed i would have absolutely crushed me but he's got his brothers criticizing him, his king, his leaders that that knows the history, that should be the one saying, Hey, you know what? God is with you. I can see it. God is on. He's saying, You're not gonna win this, man. I'm gonna be honest, you're not gonna win this. So he's, what what is he gonna do? He wants to be a doer. He's signed up, but he he stays with it though. And he, and he says unto him, in verse 34, and David said unto Saul, Thy servant kept thy father's sheep there came a lion and a bear and took the lamb out of the flock. And, and I went after him and smote him and delivered him out of the mouth. And when he arose against me, I caught him by the beard and smote him and slew him. And the servant slew both the lion and the bear and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be as one of them, seeing he had defiled the armies of the living God. He's still talking about being a doer here. Great resume, by the way. Okay, I've killed a lion. I've killed a bear. I can kill this guy. Not a bad resume. All right, now Saul's probably like, Okay. I mean, if you come into me saying, I want to fight for you, and you're scrawny, I'm going to be like, I don't know. But then you say, I fought a lion, I fought a bear, I've killed them. Now you're moving up a little bit, but still Saul, I don't know if he was convinced yet. But David said something in verse 37 that moves him from just a doer to see he was a dependent doer. And David said, moreover, the Lord that delivered me out of the Paul of the lion. Notice that, The Lord that delivered me out of the paw of the lion and out of the paw of the bear. He will deliver me out of the hand of the Philistine. And Saul said unto David, Go, and the Lord be with thee. After 40 days of cowardness out of Israel, David, Saul hasn't found one guy to volunteer. These guys have just been so fearful, and Israel looks embarrassing at this moment. And then all of a sudden, a boy that's not even old enough to be a soldier comes and says to the king, i'll do it king says you can't do it he says no i'll do it i've fought a bear i fought a lion and i'll go do it i don't know i don't know until i get to heaven and watch the rewind of this i don't know if david if saul was just like all right let's just it's a big risk though because what was the remember the conditions of that battle if david goes out and loses what happens they're servants to the philistines So I've got to think that Saul saw something here. It wasn't like Saul's like, all right, let's just get rid of this kid. If a 17-year-old gets killed, whatever. No, because if he gets killed, you're all servants to the Philistines. So I think he saw something in that moment that this kid is not just a doer. He's really dependent upon God. And he saw something in David. David, at this moment, shows what we're trying to talk about in just a story sense today that we've got to be a dependent doer because what I love about David here is David is not resting and he's not bragging about his victories. He immediately said, God's the one that gave that to me. He didn't; he wasn't flexing and saying, hey, I did that. I'm the one that's killed those guys so I can do this. He's saying, God gave me that victory and God can give me this victory. I realized I couldn't beat a lion. I couldn't beat a bear and I can't beat Goliath, but the Lord can and he's with me. And so I'm willing to go overcome my fear and I'm willing to step out in faith. And you know what? Here's If I could have ended last week's lesson this way and not like, left it for a week in an awkward silence, I would have said this. Hey guys, we need to be doers. And then I would have said this. But there's not a single one of you in this room that can do it. Let's pray. And that's what I would have done. And then I left it for a week. And I'd have lost half of you probably in this class. You'd be like, hey, he looks at us like we're bench players in a basketball team. He says we can't do it, but I would have loved to let it there, the the awkward silence for one week to say, hey, guys, that's the lesson. We've got to be doers, but you can't do it. Let's pray. And they're like, what? Why is our teacher saying we can't do it? What's our problem? But then I would have came back this week and said, because none of us in our own strength are really going to make that much of a difference. We're all by nature fearful. We're all by nature prideful. We're all by nature selfish. But when we depend upon the strength of God, we can overcome fear. We can over We would be crazy to say David didn't have any fear at all. But his faith was so large, and so trusting and so dependent upon God, we don't talk about his fear. Because he just knew God is going to help me in this situation. And so you know the story David takes. I'm not going to go into all the story because the point is the message is that right there. David takes the stone, he, the five stones. He takes his slingshot. He kills Goliath. He, he def, ch- chops off his head. But then go down to verse 48. I think it's 48. Starts off with quite a bang here in this verse. And David put his... Oh, no, that's 48. I thought it said to put his head in the bag. I'm like, I don't remember that. <laughs> But did we, I already told you I wasn't going to read through all that, but there's a verse I want to find. I think it's verse, verse 52. And the men of Israel and of Judah arose and shouted and pursued after the Philistines. Now watch, 40 days those guys have been scared to death. 40 days they've been scared. And now they're shouting, they're pursuing the Philistines until they come to the valley and to the gates of Ekron. And the wounded of the Philistines fell down by the way of Sheranam, and even to Gath and to Ex- Exron. And the children of Israel returned from chasing after the Philistines, and they spoiled their tents. And David took the head of the Philistines and brought it to Jerusalem. But he put his, his armor in the tent. Now, now, all of this happened, those guys that were so scared to death are now like, yeah, let's go, and they're fighting. And it reminded me of the Red Sea that I just read through my devotions. And the Red Sea... Remember when they came to the Red Sea and they were trapped? They had mountain, mountain, they had water, and Pharaoh, and they're all whining and complaining to Moses, why did you do this? They just saw the plagues, but they're criticizing and whining to Moses. And then, and then Moses, the only one of faith, and Moses listens to God and he raises this rod, which he had to look kind of crazy. He's like, hey, they're going to kill us and you're just standing over here with the rod. But he holds this rod up and all of a sudden the water starts to pump. The winds came. I noticed that this time when I was reading through, it talks about those winds got strong, blew those waters apart. God part of them. They walked across on dry ground. And the last in chapter fourteen, Exodus. Look at the last verse sometime. It says something to them. I'm paraphrasing. And all of Israel, the ones that were complaining, the ones that were whining, the ones that were scared, just like now, all of Israel feared the Lord. And I remember and it feared. I remember what it said. It feared the Lord and something about their faith so it's like wait a second you guys for a second ago were just criticizing Moses probably wondering why he's holding this rod up like this and now that you're safe now that you're comfortable now that everything's okay you've got great faith I wouldn't like that if I was God but you know what God didn't hold it against him God's a gracious God Why I say that at the end is because some of us may be like the Israelites. We're sitting over here looking at this world saying, hey, I'm just trying to hunker down until God takes us out of here. This world is crazy. This world is just messed up and I just want to hunker down until God takes me out of here. And I understand that. There are some days I sit in my office at work and I think this. If I could just work and then go home and not see another human being on this planet, I could be okay. Maybe my kids and my wife no dogs, okay? If I, I could be, I'm kidding. I'm, I'm just kidding. I could just sit there and get by until God takes us home. There's some times when I think that. But immediately when I think that, God convicts me and says, yeah, but, but who are you going to take with you? The dog. What dif- Not the dog. <laughs> what difference are you going to make? That's not why I put you here, just to hold on. And, you know, I don't know whether you're maybe today, as we come to this, you're one of those Israelites over on the side, and you were a doer to a point, and you're like, man, I just, right now, though, I'm just dominated by my fear, and I don't know that I can, I don't think I can, I don't know how to move forward. Maybe we need to find that courage and getting back to being a dependent doer, where we say, God, I'm just going to trust you. And maybe you've got to ride the co- coattails of a David right now. Maybe you're saying, I've, I've watched somebody else plow the way. I've been standing back scared, and I watched them plow the way in faith, and now I'm going to go out. God never condemns them for that. But I tell you what, I think David's going to have some rewards when he gets to heaven. And I'd rather be the David or the Moses that lead in faith, I'm not saying I'm that guy all the time at all but I want to be a David and a Moses that even when everybody else is fearful, everyone else is criticizing, everybody else is not, I'd like to try to be the guy that says, I'm gonna go, let's just trust God. I don't understand it, it doesn't make sense. It's difficult, it's scary, but let's be a dependent doer, dependent upon God, and let's move forward and see what happens. And not be a guy, and this can be me, that wants to look around and say, hey, is it, Jim, are you going to go? You're not going to go. All right. Well, I don't know. I may not. John, are you going to go? You're not going. To go? I, I don't know if I'm going to. Aaron, you're going. To. No, you're definitely not going. So I don't. I don't know. I, maybe I'll just wait until somebody else goes. That's what I. That's my natural nature. But I like to be a guy that says, Hey, you know what? I'm just going to trust God, and I'm going to depend on Him, and let's take the step of faith. Now, do you notice the question is? Is a teacher. This kind of can drive me crazy, but it's fine. Did you notice I, I spoke in a lot of general generalities today? I didn't give anything specific, and here's why. I don't know what the next step is for you. I, I don't know what that step of faith is. It's easy in David's life, so I can teach on it. Dave, the next step for the Israelites was to fight Goliath. That was easy. I don't know your Goliath. So I could sit here and just take an average of what's the normal things that people face, and I could say this, And I could, you know, the next step is you need to take, I could say whatever. I don't know what it is. So the the lesson, the, the ending part that I just, I cannot do is you have to pray and say, God, what is the Goliath that I'm facing, that I'm fearful of, that I need to take a step of faith? I need to move forward on this, but I'm just so fearful. And I'm not depending on you, God. And whatever that is, that's the area to start where you say, God, forgive me. Help me to be, a dependent doer, and to take the step of faith that I need to take. Let's pray.